Right. Well, we're continuing uh, to look at uh, the Sermon on the Mount this week. So if you'd like to turn ready in your Bibles to Matthew and chapter 5, that'll be great. I've entitled this message as World Changers. Who do you think are world changers? Maybe Lord Sugar or Richard Branson, not Branston, Branson from the business world, or maybe a chap called Vint Cerf or Bob Kahn who invented the internet. Someone from history like Winston Churchill or Alexander Fleming who discovered penicillin. There will be others, of course, who have had a devastating effect upon the world, have been world changers in a negative way. And of course, Jesus was the ultimate and is the ultimate world changer. But we're going to see this morning that we, as Jesus' kingdom people, can be world changers. So let's read together Matthew chapter 5 and from verse 13 to 20. I'm going to concentrate on the first part of these verses, uh, but we're going to read 13 to 20. So Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, that means not even a full stop or a tiny little part of a letter, will pass from the law until it's all accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Some Jews in Jesus' day and some followers of Jesus over the centuries have interpreted godly and holy living to mean withdrawing from the world and society. Some have gone to extreme lengths even to live separately, avoiding outside influences. Now, to spend time in solitude, in reflection, in listening to the heart of the Father, being alone with God is a normal part of us being a follower of Jesus. It has huge spiritual benefit for us, but solitude as a lifestyle will not enable us to be a world changer. You cannot be a world changer hidden behind stone walls or bricks. These verses show us that we are to live in our world, being not of our world, but in a kingdom way. That is, we celebrate what is beautiful and good and all that is wholesome and godly in our culture and society, but not be influenced by the darkness around, always seeking first the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus talked about everyday things, And these three pictures in this passage 
help us understand more about the kingdom. They are salt, light, and a city. They describe our influence for good in the world. These help us to understand how we can be world changers. So firstly, we're going to look at you are the salt of the earth. Salt has a number of uses. Its main uses are to season or flavour food, to preserve food, and it also has cleansing properties. We commonly use salt to flavour our foods, don't we? Fish and chips would not be the same without salt and vinegar, of course, but salt is very important. Before the days of refrigeration, salt was used to cure and preserve meat to stop it from decaying. The only way the early explorers in large ships could store meat was to salt it. In the medical world, every hospital patient with a wound, be that a trauma, a surgery or disease, will have their wounds cleaned with saline. Saline is a weak solution of sodium chloride, which is salt and water. Don't worry, that's as technical as it gets. Now, Jesus delivered this sermon near Capernaum on a ridge of hills overlooking the Sea of Galilee. One of the main industries of the Sea of Galilee was fishing. And as part of the industry, they would also salt some fish. The salting of the fish obviously prevented decay. Rubbing salt into fish stopped the fish from rotting and so preserved them. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. How incredible that is, that we have a cleansing, preserving, and seasoning effect upon our society. We sting. We taste a bit different. We're sharp. We flavor. We look different. We make a difference. Simply from the life of Jesus that we carry within us. So our poverty, our mourning, all those beatitudes that we've looked at the last couple of weeks, our meekness, our hungering, our thirsting for righteousness, the mercy we show, the purity of our lives, being peacemakers, even being persecuted and reviled. By all these things, we demonstrate our saltiness in society. All the beatitudes have a cleansing, preserving and seasoning effect upon our neighbours and society. You are able to be a positive and kingdom influence in the world around you. Do you believe that? You are able to have that positive influence. So often we feel weak, don't we, and just one in a crowd, overwhelmed, unable to influence or change anything. But Jesus says you are the opposite. You are the salt of the earth. Let's get practical. How do we flavor? How do we preserve? How do we cleanse society? We flavor society, as we have said, by who we are in Christ, by our attitudes, by our love, by our compassion for others, by honoring speech. When we speak, we speak in an honoring way, by building people up and not pulling them down. When someone is rubbishing another person, you speak in the opposite spirit. When you bring peace in the workplace, you are being salt. 
To give you an example of how we preserve in society, as Christians, we uphold a biblical and godly view of marriage between a man and a woman, so-called traditional family life. That is a safe environment and loving environment to bring up children. Having godly values and living by them, we preserve a strong society. And others who live in godly ways, whether they're Christian or not, also preserve society. They have that effect too, because that is a kingdom principle. We cleanse society by having a healing impact, showing mercy, forgiving easily, being a peacemaker, building people up, honoring people, loving your neighbor, even when they do those irritating things. The words you speak, you know, have power to heal. Our saltiness as Christians, or who we are in Christ, means we live to be a good and wholesome and moral influence upon our society. Just like salt being rubbed into fish stops decay, when we are rubbed into society, it stops society going bad. John Stott said, The world is in decline, deteriorating, and needs salt to purify it. You are the salt of the earth. Jesus does give us this warning though. We read it at the beginning of the reading in verse 13 there. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer any good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So going back to the context again, there are two main lakes or seas that are in the Holy Land. The Sea of Galilee, where Jesus was delivering this sermon, where the fish thrive and where there's a salt industry as well. The other much bigger lake uh, is the Dead Sea, which is below uh, the Sea of Galilee. And this was so-called because of its high concentration of salt. In fact, toxic levels of salt. This was due to the high temperatures in the region because the lake water would evaporate, but also because the Dead Sea didn't flow out. It had no outlet, so it becomes very salt-laden. The Dead Sea is well-named because nothing lives in it. Fish cannot live in the Dead Sea. But what did Jesus mean about salt losing its saltiness? I'm no scientist, but technically salt cannot lose its saltiness. However, if it becomes contaminated, if it becomes mixed with impurities which can colour it, or being diluted to such an extent, it can, become, it can become useless. It loses its saltiness. Now, around the edges of the Dead Sea, that was the one that's really toxic, apparently there's huge quantities of white powder which looks like salt. This powder, though, has lost its saltiness due to it being mixed uh, with what else is on the shoreline. All you can do is walk on it. Maybe Jesus was thinking of the Dead Sea and the white powder on its shores when he gave this warning. Or maybe Jesus was thinking of rock salt when it is mined, when it is cut out from the ground. Um, there is around it a hard layer of impurities, and the outer layer is useless as salt. So they would cut it off and remove it. And what they did with it was they threw it on the pavements 
So it got trodden on, and in wet weather, it wouldn't be slippery. Maybe Jesus had that in mind. Whatever it was, the point is, if we become contaminated, if we are diluted, if we are mixed with the world, if we become indistinguishable, couldn't get that word out, indistinguishable from the world, if our language and our behavior is no different from those around, we become useless. We, in effect, lose our saltiness. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the glory of the gospel is when the church is absolutely different from the world. We don't like being different, do we? Stand out. The glory of the gospel is when the church is absolutely different from the world. She invariably attracts it. It is then that the world is made to listen to the church's message, though it may hate it at first. Colossians 4 says this, Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer each person. So Paul picks up this theme here of you are the salt of the earth. So we relate to the world around us with grace in one hand and salt in the other, if you want to see that uh, imagery. Yes, we flavor, we preserve, we have cleansing effect on society, which is incredible, isn't it? But we do it with grace and love. Love in one hand, grace in one hand, and salt in the other. The second image that Jesus gives us is light. You are the light of the world. In John 8, verse 12, Jesus said of himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And here Jesus says this about you. You are the light of the world. How incredible is that? How is the light of Christ seen in us? Jesus is absolutely clear here. I don't almost need to tell you. It's in verse 16. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Good works do not save us, but they flow out of our transformed life. They are light. In history, you know, there's been some incredible examples of Christians being world changers by being light through good deeds in society. There was a chap called William Wilberforce, along with who were known as the Clapham Clapham sect, worked for many decades in Parliament in the late 1700s to abolish slavery. In that day, even Christians, some Christians supported slavery, something that's unthinkable today, isn't it? But he worked tirelessly over decades and changed society. C.H. Spurgeon was known as the Prince of Preachers, little known though, or less known, was in the mid-1800s, he established children's homes for orphans, particularly in South London. These provided a family environment, small family units instead of the workhouses of the day. C.H. Spurgeon and uh, all those associated with him were world changers. Nearer to home in present day, churches in Eastbourne run night shelters for homeless people during the winter months. 
Around the country, many churches have street pastors supporting and loving those who are out and about in the middle of the night. Jesus said, we are the light of the world. John Stott said, good works are acts of love and faith. They express not only our loyalty to God, but our care for others around. But us being light in the world can be in the very small and the everyday as well, not in the big things. You know, such things as random acts of kindness, just being kind because it's nice to be kind to somebody. You know, buying a coffee for a stranger, holding a door open for an elderly person struggling with their shopping, being polite to someone who's been rude to you. Why not ask Jesus this week to show you who you can be kind to, who can you can show a random act of kindness to? I did it a few weeks ago. It was great fun. I really enjoyed doing it. I won't tell you what I did, but it's great fun. Ask the Father what you should be doing as a random act of kindness for someone. It brings light into people's life. It changes atmospheres. Just like switching a light on changes the atmosphere in the room. We have the power within us to change atmospheres around us. You know someone who comes into work in a bad mood, you jolly well know about it. They've changed the atmosphere. We can change the atmosphere in a positive way. In our conversations and our language. Do you know that when you're in the room, the conversation probably changes in the work environment. You have that beautiful gift of bringing light, and it's so often in small ways. Jesus expands this theme of light by saying, people don't light a lamp and put it under a basket or a bowl, but place it on a stand. Let's think about that for a moment. The context of this was Jewish festivals, and Jewish festivals were celebrated in different ways with key events in their history. They celebrated Passover and first, first fruits, Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Tabernacle, just to name a few. Now, they also had a, a festival called the Festival of Lights. This commemorated the cleansing and rededication of the Second Temple in 165 BC. Even... Each evening, they would light lamps and place them in the synagogues and in their homes. And these lamps were simple. They were just a wick and a, a clay container of oil. These festival lights were not meant to be hidden. That's what Jesus was alluding to here. They were meant to be seen. All lamps in homes were put on a lampstand so that they lit the room, but also could be seen from outside. So Jesus said, don't put your lamps under a basket or a bowl. What happens when you put a lamp under a bowl? Well, if it doesn't ignite the bowl or burn the basket itself, the oxygen would run out and the flame would go out. We're not to hide our light. It will either be seen or it will, or it will either be not be seen or it will be extinguished. Allow the light of Christ to shine through you. We light the way. Jesus said, don't conceal your light. Don't hide your light in some way, but let it shine. The truth within us is meant to shine out. Don't be fearful or ashamed. Let your light shine before others that they can see your good works and give glory to God. John Stott again, he says, it is the light that men 
will praise, not the lamp which bears it. We carry the torch, we carry the light for Jesus. And remember that darkness cannot overcome light. Darkness cannot get darker and extinguish light. No, light dispels darkness. Light changes atmospheres. A saying that's attributed to Francis of Assisi is that all the darkness in the world cannot extinguish the light of a single candle. So we do not have to fear darkness. It will not overcome us because we carry the light. The world is a dark place and needs light. It needs the beautiful light of Jesus. And you carry that light within you, even on a bad day. The church brings the light of Jesus to dispel the darkness. So we can be changers, we can be world changers, because we bring the light of Christ to the world. The third picture that Jesus gives us here is a city on a hill. The meaning again is obvious because a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Cities stand out on the horizon, don't they? We, the church, are to be like a city on a hill. We're meant to be visible and noticed for our difference and our availability. Cities in Jesus' day were often built with white limestone, so they stood out on the horizon, and they even shone in the bright sun. Travelers on dusty, unmade roads could find their way to cities in full view. We are therefore to be like cities or a place that attracts people. Now, I don't want to press the picture too much of the church being like a city, but when I was thinking of this, I was reminded of the refuge cities in the Old Testament. don't know if you know about these. These were specially designated cities set aside for asylum for those who were guilty of unintentional manslaughter. So if you accidentally killed somebody, you could go to this city um, as a place of, of uh, respite, and refuge. The guilty um, went there just before their cases were decided. They had to remain there, so effectively they were exiled in these cities. Now as a church, we are to be a safe and inclusive place of refuge. We're not a club. We're not meant to be monochrome. We're meant to be inclusive of everyone. I hasten to add that we're not a place to hide criminals who need to face the law. But we are places for the lost and broken. Places for the sick, the disadvantaged. Those who are different to you. Where everyone, where sinners, when all can come and find the love of Christ. Places that are inclusive. Where everyone can belong and commence a journey of healing and discovery of who Jesus is. The main point here is that as Christ church we are to be like a city on a hill, a people that are visible and accessible and inclusive of society around us. Think for a moment, who is more, the most different? What type of person, or you might have a person in mind, what type of person is most different from you? Okay, think of that, have that image. The person that maybe who irritates you the most or 
you wouldn't want to sit next to in a million years. Think of that sort of person. <laughs> we are to be inclusive of all. We're not to be like a village in a valley, which may or may not be seen, but to be a city on a hill. The salt, light, and city pictures show us aspects of our identity in Christ. But however, Jesus reveals more of his identity in the next few verses, verses 17 to 20. I'm just going to be very brief on this. It is like he is opening up the curtains of who he is to his disciples. And you see that throughout the Gospels. Jesus is slowly, slowly showing himself to his dis disciples, revealing his identity to them. Now, Jesus preached this sermon on the side of a hill above Galilee. And there's a parallel here. If you remember, Moses, hundreds of years before, went up on, the, on Mount Sinai to receive the law and the Ten Commandments. Jesus went up on a hillside to explain the law and the prophets and ultimately to fulfill the law. Jesus said, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus fulfills the law in that the law and the prophets all point to his coming. So right from creation, the sacrificial system, all the prophetic books, the history books, as well as all the wisdom literature, all point to Jesus, the Messiah, coming with his kingdom. No part of the Old Testament will be abolished. It won't be set aside. It's not superseded in any way. All the words remain. And Christ came to fulfill everything as the Son of God by giving his life on the cross, which we have remembered and celebrated this morning. And Jesus said, to be great in the kingdom, we uphold the law. We uphold the law. So in conclusion, salt, light, and city pictures show us that we are to be counter-cultural. We are to live differently. And ask the question, are we different from the world? I've been really challenged by this this week as I've studied this. Do we live differently? Are we visibly different? These pictures challenge us, but they also empower us. Don't try to hide away in fear or embarrassment by our distinctiveness. We are called to be different. That's great, isn't it? We are called to be different. You are called to be countercultural. Salt must be shaken out of the salt pot. Light must not be hidden, but shine. Cities are meant to be seen and are places of refuge. Can I encourage you, be who you are. Who you are meant to be. Be the best you can be. You know, in your school, the store, the office, the street, in the clubs that you attend. If you're unemployed, then you meet different people to other people. Be a shining light, whatever, whatever situation you are in. You have contact with many different people throughout the week. Can I encourage you, be an activist for the kingdom. Everyone's being activists these days, aren't they? Activists for climate, activists for political parties and all the rest of it. Be an activist for the kingdom. You have the power of Christ within you 
Jesus changed the atmosphere around him, wherever he was, and so can you. You can be a world changer for someone this week. Amen.